podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. What makes someone a serial killer? According to the Oxford Dictionary, by definition, a serial killer is someone who commits a series of murders, often with no apparent motive and typically following a characteristic, predictable behavior pattern. The idea that all serial killers come from broken childhoods is in fact a myth. As is the idea that serial killers all exhibit above average intelligence. Or that serial killers all travel across state lines looking for victims. In reality, most serial killers have exhibited average intelligence. Typically commit their murders in an area they think of as a comfort zone, and several came from non-abusive familial backgrounds. In essence, the modern ideas of just who or what a serial killer should be was molded by the likes of films such as Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 film Psycho or Anthony Hopkins' portrayal of the brilliant serial cannibal Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. The likes of these classic films has helped to perpetuate the myths that serial killers are suave, charismatic, or even downright likable. It's created a nearly cult-like obsession over the various serial killers out there and forgets about the victims of their crimes. The term prolific is often used in tandem with the term serial killer as if the killer has accomplished a great feat rather than acknowledging that the killer has proceeded to take the lives of countless innocent individuals. Seemingly without any sense of remorse or regret. One such serial killer who has held the title of prolific is that of Patrick Wayne Kearney, also known as the Trashbag Killer a man who murdered at least 30-plus young men throughout the 1960s and 70s. He showed little to no remorse for his crimes, having taken the lives of many young gay men over the course of his reign of terror. Patrick Wayne Kearney was not a prolific man, as he didn't do anything great or noteworthy. Instead, he was a real-life monster a creature far more sinister and dangerous than the likes of the fictional Norman Bates or Hannibal Lecter. Hello, and welcome to The Jury Room, where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, these stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. Patrick Wayne Kearney was born in September of 1939. He was the eldest of three boys to a middle class, and for all accounts and purposes, 
a fairly stable and normal family. He grew up in California, and then his family moved to Texas, where he would spend majority of his teenage years. As a young man, Kearney was often the target of childhood bullies, as he was a thin and frail child. Kearney would often be subject to taunts regarding his sexuality, even though at the time of in his life, he did show more interest in women than men. Kearney did not seem to be the victim of abuse in his home life. His parents have never been accused of harming Kearney physically or emotionally. His trauma seems to mostly have stemmed from the other children in school. While there was no abuse present in the home of Kearney's, Patrick Kearney's father did teach him how to butcher the family's pigs at a very young age. He taught Patrick Kearney to shoot the pig behind the ear for a quick death. As time went on, Patrick would take it upon himself to butcher pigs even when he wasn't supposed to. Showing signs of the telltale markers of a sociopathic serial killer. As he grew into teenhood, he began to find himself sexually aroused by the ideas of murder. He would fantasize about abducting his perceived victims. Often, these would take shape in the form of the other teens who had mocked or bullied him. His fantasy would encompass the idea that after abducting his victims, he would then skin the fantasy victim alive. Kearney also began to fantasize about bondage and even bestiality around this time in his life. He was fascinated by the ideas of both and would eventually begin to experiment with bestiality when he was about 13 years old. After assaulting the Kearney family dog, it is said that he would continue to practice bestiality up until his arrest in the late 70s. After high school, Kearney joined the military. He then proceeded to get married. Not much is documented on Kearney during the time of his early 20s while he was enlisted. However, while he was there, he did meet a man by the name of David Hill. The two men were both married. However, they seemed to have an instant attraction to one another. They would begin an affair during their time in the military. Eventually, Patrick Kearney's brief marriage would fall apart, ending in divorce. After the divorce, Patrick Wayne Kearney decided it was time to head back to the West Coast and see what the Pacific Ocean might have in store for him. David Hill would decide to leave his wife and join Patrick on his move to California. The two men would move in together after David Hill was discharged from the military due to having a personality disorder. Patrick Kearney settled into life in Los Angeles, California with his now partner, David Hill. He would obtain work as an aircraft engineer for Hughes Aircraft and start to build a new life in the sunny west coast. 
no one suspected that behind the smiling, exceedingly intelligent, five-foot-five tall veneer, a serial killer would lurk. In 1962, Kearney would no longer be able to control the bloodthirsty fantasies he had been harboring since his teenage years. David Hill and Patrick Kearney had begun fighting constantly while they tried to carve a life out in California as a gay couple. At one point that year, David Hill had enough and decided to backpack across the United States, leaving Patrick behind. Subsequently, David would also return back to his now estranged wife during that trip. Deciding to throw himself into school, Patrick Kearney began to attend classes at California State University at Long Beach. After David Hill left, Kearney no longer had to hide his craven instincts. In Orange, California, he would go out for a drive one evening on his motorcycle. On his way, he spotted a young gentleman with his thumb held out looking for a ride. Kearney saw the perfect opportunity to live out his fantasies. He would pull over and offer a lift to the unsuspecting hitchhiker. This unknown victim, who is only known as John Doe Number 1, would be Patrick Wayne Kearney's first of many victims. Kearney would take the 19-year-old young man to a secluded place. Once there, he would take his gun and shoot the young man in the head, directly behind the ear, just as he had shot his family's pigs in his youth. After he shot the young man, Patrick Wayne Kearney would sexually assault his deceased body. Once he had completed his act of necrophilia, Kearney would then mutilate the corpse of the young man and discard the remains after he was done with them. Kearney felt no remorse at the murder of the young 19-year-old John Doe. Instead, he would continue his long drives looking for more victims along the freeways of California. A few weeks later, Kearney would cross paths with the younger cousin of his first victim. The 16-year-old younger cousin had seen John Doe number one receive a ride from Patrick Kearney on his motorcycle the night he disappeared. Kearney realized that an opportunity had presented itself and so lured the young man's cousin to another secluded area, just as he had done with the John Doe previously. Kearney then proceeded to shoot the young man in the head directly behind the ear. He would then proceed to sexually assault the victim's corpse, mutilate the remains, and then dump the unknown 16-year-old's body in an undisclosed location. Eventually, David Hill would decide to return to California and his relationship with Patrick Kearney later that year. The two would once again begin their on-again, off-again relationship. Fueled by constant fighting and the reconciliation. Each time, David would leave Patrick and go back to his estranged wife. Then he would inevitably return home to Patrick Kearney and their dysfunctional relationship. 
It was during these times that David Hill would leave Patrick, that Patrick would conduct his murder sprees. He would take advantage of Hill not being at their home, and he would drive for hours looking for potential victims. Later on, in 1962, a few months after the murders and post-mortem sexual assaults on John Doe No. 1 and his cousin John Doe No. 2, Patrick would once more go trolling for victims. This time he found a young man named Mike. Mike was only 18 years old at the time of his murder. He too was lured in by Patrick Kearney and then shot in the head. Kearney would also assault his corpse, then dismember his body. The same method that he enacted on the two previous victims. In January of 1963, Patrick Wayne Kearney would quit his job at Hughes Aircraft. He would remain jobless for several months until April of that year. When Hughes Aircraft would rehire Kearney, this time with a promotion to Senior Research Assistant. It is assumed that during 1963, Kearney did not murder anyone at least no one that he has assumed responsibility for at this time. It's possible that with the return of David Hill to their apartment, Kearney was unable to venture out as much to look for possible victims. In 1964, Kearney and Hill decided to move to a duplex in Culver City, California. Culver City is a suburb of Los Angeles and it would give Kearney new territory in which to search for potential victims. Despite the new location, it is not believed that Kearney killed anyone during that year or the subsequent years. In 1966, David Hill and his estranged wife decided to formally get a divorce. Kearney would continue to not murder anyone for the remainder of 1966 and most of 1967, that is, until December of 1968. Kearney and Hill had a friend who was only ever identified as George, who joined the couple while they stayed in Tijuana, Mexico. Kearney had convinced David to drive them to Mexico that day. They stayed at an undisclosed location, and while there, Patrick Kearney would once more allow his darker half to take control. That evening, when George, and it is also assumed David, were asleep, Patrick Kearney would sneak into George's room. Once there, he would shoot George in the head, the same as the previous three victims. He would then drag George's body into the bathroom, placing the deceased man into the bathtub. Patrick Wayne Kearney then proceeded to sodomize the corpse. He then mutilated the remains and dismembered the man only referred to as George. Kearney would then take George's remains out into the back of the building and bury them behind the building. It is unknown what he told David Hill the next day to explain the sudden disappearance of their friend, George. 
if he even told him anything at all. After the murder of George, there would be another large gap in time between the next murder at the hands of Patrick Wayne Kearney. At least it's assumed there was a gap in time, as Kearney didn't admit to any known murders during the years from 1968 until 1971. In 1969, Patrick Wayne Kearney decided to purchase a home for David and himself. The duplex was located in Renando Beach, California. Kearney paid a little over 20000 for it, and it would become the location of many of his murders over the next few years. The fights and arguments continued between Kearney and David Hill. The relationship was still rocky and seemed to always be teetering on the edge of ending formally. In 1971, things came to yet another head when David Hill decided to leave Patrick Kearney yet again, this time only leaving Kearney a note, a simple goodbye, then Hill would leave the shared residence. Something about David Hill only leaving behind a note seemed to trigger Patrick Kearney. Previously, he had been able to satiate himself by killing one to two people every few years. But with David Hill gone, there was no one around to prevent him from enacting any and all of his murderous fantasies. It was in 1971 that Patrick Wayne Kearney, the 5'5 engineer who was seen as kind-natured and weakly, would fully begin his murderous rampage that would not stop until 1977. Patrick Wayne Kearney is thought to have murdered upwards of 40 young men, teenagers, and children, all in the span of six years. Most of his victims' remains have not been found. Patrick Wayne Kearney would look for victims anywhere he could, and he was always on the prowl, hunting and seeking the ones whose society had forgotten about. He frequented gay bars, looking for young men to secret away and then murder when he had them in a secluded area. He would troll for hitchhikers on his long drives along the freeways of California, always on the prowl and always looking for future victims. Even young male children were not spared from Patrick Wayne Kearney's cruel eyes. If he saw a child alone, he would see it as an opportunity and abduct the child, using his same MO on the children as he did with the young adult males. In 1971, Patrick Wayne Kearney would come across a young man named John Demichek. Demichek was only 13 years old when Kearney found him hitchhiking along the freeway one evening. It is assumed that much like his earlier victims, Kearney convinced the young tween to get in his car with the offer of a lift. Once in the car, Kearney more than likely shot the 13-year-old boy. Kearney told police that he would often lure the men and teens into his car 
Then he would drive the vehicle with his left hand, and in his right hand would be the pistol. Once the vehicle was moving, he would then shoot the victim in the head above their ear. And he would then push the body back upright into the seat to make it look like they were just a passenger in the vehicle. John Demichek more than likely received this very treatment as he was the first of the series of murders for Patrick Kearney. It is assumed that Kearney took his remains to a remote location, sodomized his now deceased remains, and then would proceed to cut the 13-year-old's body up into smaller pieces. The 13-year-old's remains would eventually be found in February of 1973, nearly two years after his murder. Kearney was not linked with the murder at the time, and Dimichek's murder would fall into a cold case status. No one realized at the time there was a serial killer stalking the highways and bars of California, shooting his victim and then savagely dismembering their bodies. By mutilating and cutting up the remains, it allowed Patrick Kearney to easily place the remains in multiple trash bags and dump them along the freeways or the remote woods and canyons. This would become his M.O. over the next six years. He would later tell investigators that he would often choose young men and teens who looked similar to the teens who had once tormented him when he was a child. Something about the similarities of the men and teens would trigger his rage, and Kearney would enact the murders that had once only been sadistic fantasies in his head. Kearney would often beat his victims' bodies after he had killed them, finding the physical assaults to be cathartic. He was also said to have taken his victims back to his own home. Once there, he would drain their blood in his bathtub. Before dismembering their remains with a hacksaw, and dropping the trash bag clad limbs into the remote locations he saw to place them at. In September of 1973, Kearney would choose to take the life of yet another young man. His name was James Fletcher Barwick. He was a 17-year-old teen. Like the other victims, Barwick was a young hitchhiker and Kearney convinced him to get in the car. It is assumed that Kearney would shoot James Barwick in the head while he was driving, take the remains to a secluded area, sodomize them, and then again mutilate and cut up the remains and place them in trash bags to be dumped in remote areas or along freeways. At some point between 1971 and 1973, David Hill would re-enter back into Patrick Wayne Kearney's life. The two would yet again move in together and continue their toxic relationship, always fighting one minute and back together the next. It was during the times that the couple was fighting that Kearney would often take to his car and drive the highways and freeways looking for victims. 
he would take advantage of David Hill's frequent leaving of their home in order to go and hunt for victims to help fuel his murderous instincts. In August of 1974, Kearney would find his seventh victim, a five-year-old child by the name of Ronald Dean Smith Jr. Kearney must have seen the child while driving one day. He would abduct the five-year-old child. Unlike Kearney's other victims, with Ronald, he suffocated the child rather than shooting him in the head as he had with his other victims. Ronald's remains would be found two months later. On October 12th of 1974, one week before what would have been his sixth birthday, his case would remain a cold case until three years later, when Patrick Kearney would confess to his abduction and murder. On April 13th, 1975, Kearney would solicit the services of 21-year-old sex worker Albert Riviera. He would convince Riviera to get to his car, and as he had previously, he would shoot Riviera while driving and prop his body up in the passenger seat. He would take Riviera's body back to his home, where he would sodomize the 21-year-old's corpse. He would drain the body of blood, dismember his remains, and then place the remains in trash bags to dispose of in a remote location. In November of 1975, Kearney would once again get behind the wheel of his vehicle and select his next victim. This time, it would be 20-year-old hitchhiker Larry Jean Walters. Kearney would once again use the M.O. he had begun to adopt and perfect and murder the 20-year-old, disposing of his body the same way he had the eight other victims previously. 1976 would find Patrick Wayne Kearney escalating in his murders. Instead of one to two murders a year, Kearney was now perpetrating one to two murders a month. It would begin anew with 17-year-old Robert Billy Benefield, who accepted a ride from Kearney when he found himself stranded. After his bike broke down, Kearney dismembered Billy's remains, but split the remains up, disposing of them in various locations. To this day, his remains have never been found. Then in March of 1976, Kearney abducted and murdered 17-year-old Kenneth E. Buchanan. Kearney sodomized the 17-year-old, but to his dismay, the young man was not actually dead at the time. Buchanan would wake up after the attack and rape, and then realizing what had happened, Kearney would shoot him three more times, this time verifying the young man was deceased. Kearney would yet again dismember the remains, dumping them in an undisclosed location. Kenneth E. Buchanan's remains were found a month later in April. On March 21st of 1976, 13-year-old Oliver Peter Malter would become Kearney's 12th victim. Kearney had found the 13-year-old boy hitchhiking. Kearney gave Oliver a ride. He then 
took him to a secluded area where the two played doctor, which led to them having sex. Afterwards, Carney would murder the 13-year-old, again dismembering his remains. This time, he would dump the trash bags containing the remains throughout the Palos Verdes landfill. His remains have never fully been recovered. As Kearney left the bags in various places throughout the landfill, making a full recovery of the 13-year-old's body almost impossible. On April 19th of 1976, Kearney abducted and shot 15-year-old Larry Almadreas. Kearney took Larry's remains back to his home. Once there, he would sodomize the body and dismember the 15-year-old. Larry's remains have never been found, as of the date of this recording. Kearney would go on to abduct, sexually assault, and murder at least 13 more young men and teens over the course of 1976 and 1977. Their names and ages goes as follows. 13-year-old Michael Craig McGee abducted, murdered, sodomized, and dismembered on June 11, 1976. Michael McGee had a history of juvenile delinquency. He was hitchhiking when Kearney came across the young teen. Kearney offered to let the 13-year-old join him on a camping trip. It was in this trip that weekend that Kearney murdered Michael Craig McGee. His remains have never been found. 23-year-old John Woody Woods Abducted, murdered, sodomized, and dismembered June 20th, 1976. His remains would not be found until June 21st of 1977. Sometime in 1976, Kearney would abduct, murder, sodomize, and dismember 17-year-old hitchhiker Larry Ipsy. His remains would be discovered August 23, 1976, but no evidence linked his murder to Patrick Kearney at that time. In August of 1976, 20-year-old Wilford Lawrence Fahirti was abducted, murdered, sodomized, and dismembered. His remains would be found August 28, 1976. August of 1976 would also see the murder of 16-year-old hitchhiker Randall Lawrence Moore. Like those previous to him, he was abducted, murdered, sodomized, and then dismembered by Patrick Kearney. His remains would be found in October of 1976. In September of 1976, 19-year-old hitchhiker Timothy Brian Ingham would become Kearney's 18th victim. Kearney shot Timothy while the 19-year-old was asleep. He then threw Timothy's remains down a ravine. Kearney would take Timothy Ingham's items he had with him and give them to friends of his in Mexico. Timothy's remains were found on September 24th 1976. Sometime in the fall of 1976, 27-year-old David Allen would fall prey to Patrick Wayne Kearney. 
David Allen was shot and his remains were left along the side of the highway. They wouldn't be discovered until October 9th, 1976. 20-year-old Mark Andrew Ork would be Kearney's next victim when he was picked up by the serial killer while hitchhiking. Like the others, he was abducted, murdered, sodomized, and then dismembered on October 5th, 1976. His remains were found the very next day on October 6th. Patrick Kearney was not linked to the murder initially at the time. And now for a quick break. Hi, this is Kelly. And this is Jenna. We're the hosts of ODFM. That's one from murder. Each week, we discuss a true crime murder case. And intertwine our unique sense of dark humor. Each episode relates to a word starting with the letter D. The stories we tell are serious and true. Our opinions are not. But be warned, we don't hold back on the details of the case. Or our inappropriate comments and colorful language. Join us every Monday on your favorite podcast provider for a new episode of ODFM. We're on a full ride scholarship to hell. Now, back to the show. Patrick Kearney would take a two-month hiatus from his killing spree at the end of 1976. Then, in January... He would once more pick back up where he had left off. He was escalating and fast, and dismembered remains were beginning to pile up. Investigators were finding remains almost as soon as Patrick Kearney had disposed of the bodies, and so far he had been lucky and careful. None of the bodies had seemed to lead investigators to him. It was beginning to become apparent to investigators, however, that they had a serial killer on their hands. One who abducted children, teens, and young men, usually drifters or hitchhikers. The killer would then shoot the victims, sodomize them, and dismember their remains. They began to refer to the serial killer as the freeway killer, or, more commonly, the trash bag killer. He was an unknown serial killer that seemed to have no end in sight to his continual murder rampage. In January of 1977, Patrick Kearney abducted, murdered, and dismembered 28-year-old sex worker Nicholas Nicky Hernandez. The young man's remains would be found January 23, 1977. On February 26, 1977, Kearney would abduct, murder, sodomize, and dismember 24-year-old Arturo Ramos Marquez, who was thought to have been an acquaintance of Kearney's. His remains were found March 3, 1977. For the course of Patrick Wayne Kearney's serial killer activity, he had never been linked to any of the murders or the victim's remains. That was until Kearney made the first big mistake in the course of his 15-year time span of murder. It started when he abducted an acquaintance of both he and David Hill, 17-year-old John Otis LeMay. John Otis LeMay had been a teenager that David Hill had met while at a local gym. The two had hit it off and began a friendship. 
On the night of March 13, 1977, John Otis LeMay told his neighbor that he would be leaving for the night to go spend time with his new friend, David, over at David's house. This was the last time John Otis LeMay was seen alive. David Hill had apparently given John Otis LeMay the address to the duplex in Renando Beach that he shared with Patrick Wayne Kearney. When John Otis LeMay arrived at the duplex, it was to find that David Hill was not home yet. Instead, he was greeted by Patrick Wayne Kearney. Kearney offered to let John Otis LeMay come inside and watch TV while he waited for David to return. While the teenager was sitting down, Kearney shot him in the head above his ear, just as he had all his other victims. Kearney would resort to his typical MO of murdering, sodomizing, and then dismembering John Otis LeMay's body. He then would take the trash bag clad remains to the desert where he dumped John Otis LeMay's body. John Otis LeMay's remains were discovered by investigators on March 18, 1977. It was this discovery that would finally bring the 15-year history of murder and sodomy to a screeching halt. Investigators would reach out to John Otis LeMay's friends, neighbors, and family. It was during the investigation that police were able to connect that the David that John Otis LeMay had frequently spoken about to his friends and neighbor was in fact David Hill, partner and roommate to Patrick Wayne Kearney. John Otis LeMay's mother had become worried when her 17-year-old son didn't return home that night from his friend David's house. It was unusual that John hadn't returned home that evening as it was a school night, and he wouldn't normally have stayed out late when he knew he had classes the next day. LeMay's mother was able to contact friends of her sons and ask them if they had any idea just where John could have been. They directed her towards David, a recent friend of John's who was twice the 17-year-old's age. This was the information that would be given to investigators that would clinch the fate of Patrick Wayne Kearney. Investigators would arrive at the Renando Beach residence and speak with Patrick and David Hill regarding the disappearance and subsequent murder of John Otis LeMay. They wanted to know about the relationship between the men and the 17-year-old murdered teen. Investigators now knew that John Otis LeMay had been seen in the company of both David Hill and Patrick Kearney in the days leading up to his death. Investigators now had two people of interest that they very much wanted to speak with further in regards to the murder of John Otis LeMay. While investigators were putting together the pieces of the puzzle on the murder of John Otis LeMay, Patrick Wayne Kearney couldn't contain himself any longer. On April 6th of 1977, he would commit his final murder. This time, it was eight-year-old Merle Hondo Chance. Merle Chance had been riding his bike near Hughes Aircraft on the day of April 6th. 
it is assumed that Patrick Kearney spotted the young child. He then lured the little boy into his vehicle. Kearney would smother the eight-year-old boy. As he had with his other victims, Kearney would sodomize the boy's lifeless body. He would then take the eight-year-old's remains to Angeles National Forest, where he would dump the body of eight-year-old Merle. His remains were found on May 26, 1977. It didn't take long for the intelligent Patrick Wayne Kearney to realize that both he and David Hill were both being looked at seriously for the murder of John Otis LeMay. Kearney made a rash decision thinking this would be their only way to get out of the watchful eye of the California police force. Patrick Wayne Kearney and his partner David Hill decided to go on the run. Patrick Wayne Kearney quit his job at Hughes Aircraft and the couple fled to El Paso, Texas, the place where the two men had met initially and had family. Police were able to obtain a warrant to search the duplex in Renando Beach. Once there, they found fibers and hair samples within the duplex that they were then able to match definitively to fibers and hair found on the dismembered remains of John Otis LeMay. Investigators put out a warrant for the arrest of both Patrick Wayne Kearney and David Hill in regards to the murder of 17-year-old John Otis LeMay. Evidence was beginning to pile up against Patrick Wayne Kearney, and he had managed to drag David Hill into the line of fire. Investigators now had enough evidence to charge the two men with not just the murder of John Otis LeMay, but they had enough evidence found in the duplex the couple owned to link them to six other unsolved murders that had occurred over the recent years. Now on the run, the couple found themselves on the receiving end of a manhunt. It was to the point where their own family members begged the couple to turn themselves in and speak with the police. Realizing that it was possibility their only chance to make any form of deal with investigators, they agreed. On July 1st, 1977, both David Hill and Patrick Wayne Kearney decided to turn themselves in. The couple would walk into the Riverside County Sheriff's Department and once there, they would begin to speak with investigators. Patrick Wayne Kearney realized early on that it would be in his best interest to comply with investigators. They already had enough evidence to charge him with murder of John Otis LeMay, and there was evidence piling up to charge him with at least seven other counts of murder. Patrick Wayne Kearney would begin to talk, Investigators were floored to realize that it wasn't just John Otis LeMay. It wasn't even just the seven other remains that they had discovered. In fact, Patrick Wayne Kearney would begin to confess to 28 counts of murder. Kearney confessed to the crimes and cooperated with investigators in order to avoid the death penalty. In exchange, he would tell investigators where remains were for his other victims. In the process, 
he would accept full responsibility for all the murders and fully exonerate David Hill from any culpability in any of the murders, even that of John Otis LeMay. It is unknown if David Hill knew of any of the murders or suspected his partner of having been involved in any of them previously. Hill would eventually be released from police custody. It is unknown where he went after his release. While in custody, the psychiatrist would speak with Patrick Wayne Kearney. They were able to ascertain that Kearney's IQ was over 180. An IQ of 140 or above places one in the genius level of intelligence. Of note, Stephen Hawking, the world-renowned professor and theoretical physicist, had an IQ of 160, meaning that Patrick Wayne Kearney's intelligent level was 20 points higher than one of the most respected men in history. Stephen Hawking didn't use his intelligence for evil, however, the way that Patrick Wayne Kearney did. Investigators suspected that Patrick Wayne Kearney's actual victim count is higher than what he admitted or confessed to. While confessing to 28 of the murderers, it is very possible that Kearney killed nearly 40 men, teens, and children over the 15 to 20 years that he was an active serial killer on the loose. Patrick Wayne Kearney was charged and would subsequently plead guilty to 28 counts of murder on December 21, 1977. He would receive 21 life sentences. He narrowly avoided the death penalty, as it would have been guaranteed had he not cooperated with investigators at the time of his arrest. Two months later, in February of 1978, investigators would charge Patrick Wayne Kearney with 18 more counts of murder. Kearney would also plead guilty to the 18 additional counts of murder. Patrick Wayne Kearney is currently serving out his life sentence at the California State Prison. He is 82 years old at the time of this recording. Investigators state that if Patrick Wayne Kearney did in fact kill nearly 40 men, teens, and children during the 1960s and 70s, then he would in fact be considered one of the most notorious serial killers of our times. Most people are unfamiliar with the crimes of Patrick Wayne Kearney. He is not a household name, and perhaps that is for the best. The world does not need to see more monsters inspired and striving to be similar to the likes of Patrick Wayne Kearney, the trash bag killer. Patrick Wayne Kearney isn't the only predator out there. The world is infested with many creatures similar, broken, and inhumane. In some instances, the predator gets caught or confesses, like Patrick Wayne Kearney did. Other times, though, the predator is never really caught. On the next episode of The Jury Room, I'll be looking at a predator that to this very day is still unknown. June 13th, 1977 should have marked a memorable summer experience for the likes of three young girls, settling in for a week of exploration, adventure, 
and development at Camp Scott in Mays, Oklahoma. Camp Scott was filled with laughter, chit-chat, and excitement of the yearly Girl Scout Troop summer camp that day. That night, the camp was filled with the muffled cries and screams of three young girls who would lose their lives that night. Their innocence taken by the hands of an unknown predator who slunk through the shadows of the woods and who may still walk the campgrounds of Oklahoma to this day. Join me as I peer into the still cold case of the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. It was the night that Lori Farmer, Michelle Gauze, and Doris Milner, all young girls under the age of 12, lost their lives to one of the most notorious of unknown killers to have ever walked the plains. Thanks for listening. And remember, you never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been The Jury Room.